0: Germany, the revolution betrayed. By 1914, the German Social Democratic Party, SPD, had a million members and was the largest political party in the world. But the Marxism of the party's founders was eroded. Confrontation with capitalism was subordinated to preserving the structures of the labour movement as an end in itself. The SPD's parliamentary representatives voted unanimously in favour of war credits. But opposition grew to the pro-war stance of the SPD and union leaders. In 1917, expelled party dissidents founded the Independent Social Democratic Party, USPD. In 1918, Germany's looming defeat in the war threatened more unrest and in order to contain this, the ruling class asked the SPD to join the government. SPD leader Friedrich Ebert assured parliamentary colleagues that a social revolution could now be avoided and the monarchy saved. The new coalition government could not suppress the growing political ferment. Ships crews mutinied, and in Kiel, control passed to a Workers' and Sailors' Council. On the 7th of November, a Socialist Republic of Bavaria was proclaimed. On the 9th of November, the revolution swept through Berlin. The SPD and USPD agreed to perform a provisional coalition government. The SPD proclaimed the victory of the revolution, but leading Marxist Rosa Luxemburg said that the revolution was, quote, full of inadequacies and weaknesses, more a collapse of the existing imperialism than the victory of a new principle, end quote. The armistice was proclaimed on the 11th of November and the monarchy collapsed, but the state apparatus had been left untouched. SPD leaders did not intend to challenge the old ruling classes. They allied with the army against the workers' militias, with capitalists against workers' control and with bourgeois democracy against socialist democracy. The army ordered 10 divisions to march on Berlin to, quote, tear power away from the workers' and soldiers' councils, end quote, but mass desertions swept through their ranks. On the 16th of November, the Congress of Workers' and Soldiers' Councils opened in Berlin. Congress delegates had been elected in the first days of the revolution, when illusions about the SPD's promise of a revolutionary government were still rife. The Congress rejected the creation of a republic based on workers' and soldiers' councils, and in favour of elections for a National Assembly in January. The Congress did vote for a radical resolution to elect army officers, abolish insignia of rank, subordinate the military to civilian government, and transfer disciplinary powers to the soldiers' councils. Ebert ignored it. 1918 closed with the founding of the German Communist Party, KPD, led by Rose Luxemburg and Karl Liebknecht and their group, Spartacus. Meanwhile, Ebert, an armed forces head at General Groner, organised military units they could rely on, including the Fry Corps. Witch hunting against the KPD intensified, whipped up both by the extreme right and sections of the SPD. On the 1st of January, an SPD publication accused Emil Eichhorn, a USPD member and Berlin pre- Police President, of embezzling public funds and preparing a civil war. Both accusations were unfounded. On the 4th of January, Eichhorn was sacked the Berlin USPD, delegates from the Revolutionary Shop Stewards and two KPD members, Liebknecht and Wilhelm Peak, called a protest on the 5th of January. As the 300,000-strong protest ended, armed groups occupied the SPD HQ, the SPD Newspapers Office, the Reich Printing Office, news agencies, telegraph offices and main railway stations. A meeting elected a revolutionary committee, Labrador from the USPD, Scholzer, from the RSS, and Liebknecht, from the KPD. But despite declaring the government overthrown, it proposed only a further protest the next day. The city centre was again taken over by mass protests, but rather than lead, the Revolutionary Committee opened talks with Ebert. The protests broke up, and on the 9th of January, Ebert ordered troops to recapture the occupied buildings. The KPD recognised the futility of such a young and small organisation initiating an armed uprising. Its executive censured Liebknecht for his unauthorised involvement in the Revolutionary Committee. On the 11th of January, the officers of the KPD were destroyed and the Freikorps marched into Berlin. On the 15th of January, more Freikorps flooded in. The counter-revolution unleashed terror. Suspects were arrested in the streets and executed. Militants were murdered and then declared to have been shot while resisting arrest. Others disappeared after having been taken into custody. Luxembourg and Liebknecht were captured by troops, beaten unconscious with rifle butts and shot dead. Liebknecht's body was delivered to a first aid station as that of an unknown man. Luxembourg was, d- was dumped in the Landwehr Canal. The officer in charge of the murders issued a statement that Liebknecht had been shot while trying to escape and Luxembourg killed by an angry mob. Three days later, the National Assembly elections saw the SPD win 164 seats a former coalition government with the Centre and German Democratic Party. Two days later, the SPD's Gustav Noske announced his plans for restoring the rule of law and order throughout Germany. He dispatched the Freikorps to crush the Bremen Workers and Soldiers Council. In May, the Munich Workers' Republic, which had been declared two months earlier, was suppressed by pro-government troops and Prussian Freikorps. Over 700 people were massacred in the first week alone. Violence was also used to put down working class unrest in Thuringia, Saxony, Halle, the Ruhr and Berlin. Luxembourg and Liebknecht were not killed for leading an armed uprising. They were murdered because they led a revolutionary movement which social democracy in alliance with German militarism wanted to destroy at birth. Hungary. 133 days of workers' rule. For a few months in early 1919, a workers' government ruled in Hungary. On the 3rd of November 1918, the Austro-Hungarian Empire signed an armistice. The Hungarian National Council, led by Count Mihaly Karolyi, broke away and formed a national government, including the Social Democratic Party, SDP. Soldiers and workers formed councils. Peasants agitated for land reform. Communists formed a party, the HCP, headed by Béla Kuhn. In spring 1919, HCP leaders were jailed, and their paper, Verus usiag banned. Then, Karol could not oppose a French military ultimatum and asked the SDP to form a government. The SDP proposed to the HCP that the two share power. On the 22nd of March, power passed to a revolutionary governing Soviet, headed by Kuhn. The new government, the Republic of Councils, faced a tough situation. Hungary was exhausted by war. Production was low. Hostile forces surrounded. They hoped the Red Army in Ukraine could break through to help, but it could not. The Republic nationalised the aristocracy's estates, but instead of giving the land to the peasants, they tried to force them into collectivization, ignoring Russia's experience. The Croats, Slovaks and others wanted self-determination, but the Republic of Councils ignored this sentiment, and again Russian advice. The Republic's domestic policies were a mix of innovative and disastrous. Over-rigorous nationalisation brought even barbers under state control. A minimum wage was introduced, but with no means of paying it. The film industry and theatres were nationalised, sex education introduced in schools, and mass readings of children's stories held. But the broader situation worsened. After some success against evading armies, the Hungarian Red Army was then forced to fall back to Budapest. The revolutionary governing Soviet resigned, many leaders escaping to Vienna. The Republic of councils had lasted 133 days. The Limerick Soviet On Sunday the 6th of April, County Limerick volunteers tried to rescue jail trade unionist and Republican Robert Byrne as he was being transferred under police guard to Limerick Workhouse Hospital. A constable was shot dead, a second fatally wounded. Byrne was taken by the rescue party but died of his injuries. Limerick City was proclaimed a special military area under British Army control. Burns' funeral procession was lined by British troops and passed by armoured cars while military planes flew overhead. Burns' cousins were arrested. On Friday the 11th of April a large area of Limerick Borough was declared under martial law from the next Tuesday. People could only enter this area with permits from the British Army with no exception for workers commuting to jobs. On Saturday... Lansdowne Condensed Milk Company's factory workers shut down in protest. The United Trades and Labour Council called a general strike from 5am Monday, the 14th of April. The council became the strike committee, took over a printing press, posted placards about the strike, and sent skeleton staffs to maintain supplies. 15,000 workers struck. All that operated were the public utilities under skeleton staff, carriers bringing journalists to interview the strike committee, banks, hotels, government business and the railways. The small shopkeepers joined the strike. Limerick's Chamber of Commerce condemns the permit system. Sinn Féin backed the strike and Mira O'Mara refused to leave the proclaimed area. The Unionist press saw the strike as a Sinn Féin front, but the Limerick Soviet was a working-class strategy, executed by a conscious, if undeveloped, labour movement. Sinn Féin, from the start a capitalist body, could not have directed it. The strike committee ordered rationing of hotel meals. It let shops sell potatoes, bread and milk, and let bakers, butchers and coal dealers keep working. When the largest coal merchants refused, the committee commandeered their coal. The committee organised food supply. It was promised food from elsewhere in Ireland and from unions in Britain. At night, boats with muffled oars, and by day, empty herders from the workhouse hospital brought supplies into the city. A subcommittee operated four depots and set retail prices. Profiteers were shut. The picket Subcommittee prevented looting. The Propaganda Subcommittee produced the Daily Workers' Bulletin. The Finance Subcommittee designed special banknotes issued on the credit of Limerick's Strike Committee, produced in sizes of £1, £5 and 10 shillings. By Good Friday, the 18th of April, dual power had developed in Limerick. The British Army had considerable military force. Against them, the full force of organised labour. Other than the largest coal merchants, all the community accepted the strike committee's rules. Public houses were closed, the picture house was allowed to open, its profits going to the strike fund. Mayor O'Mara held a public meeting which demanded the end of martial law and the surrender of all food to the strike committee. Either the strikers or the British had to win, or the struggle would be enveloped into an escalation that might bring Irish labour to seek state power. Railwaymen had supported the strike, refusing to handle freight for Limerick unless allowed by the strike committee or under military guard, but were held back from escalating this into a full rail strike by the inaction of the executive of the Irish Labour Party and Trade Union Congress. On the 17th of April, the executive met and expressed support for the strike, but did not call for broadening it. Events weakened the strike. Magistrates urged the extension of the proclaimed area. The British TUC declared the strike political, telling unions to refuse strike pay. The National Union of Railwaymen ordered its members not to strike. Meanwhile, the strike continued to gain support. On the 23rd of April, the workhouse clerks joined it. From Easter Sunday, Labour Party national executive members talked with the strike committee, but stated that they had no power to call a national general strike. Instead, they proposed that the population of Limerick evacuate the city. The committee decided against this utopian and impractical suggestion. Now the strikers' bourgeois allies changed sides. Limerick's mayor and bishop visited the army and discussed a compromise. The Soviet would end, and if there was no trouble for a week, the army would withdraw the military permit order. The strike committee began to retreat. It withdrew the strike notices for those working within the proclaimed area. There was bitterness, and copies of the proclamation limiting the strike were torn down. Many talked of a second Soviet, threatening to refuse permits. At Sarsfield Bridge. On the 26th of April, protesters stopped permit holders' crossing. Only half the strikers returned to work. On the 27th of April, the strike committee declared the Limerick General strike over. The next day, save for mills and bacon factories, the city was back to normal. Seven days later, the proclamation was withdrawn and permits declared unnecessary. The Limerick Soviet's defeat was caused immediately by the strike committee's acceptance of bourgeois leadership but this was itself caused by the refusal of the National Executive of the Labour Party in TUC to embark on a struggle. Their pretext was that the time for more serious action was not yet, but when was it to be? Soon would come the Tan War, Civil War, National Partition and the weakening of the working class, both nationally and internationally. The leadership of the working class movement betrayed the Limerick Soviet. This ensured that the Limerick Soviet would not have the place in Irish history that its opposite number in St. Petersburg had in the history of Russia. Even so, for two short weeks, the city had shown Ireland the vision of the Workers' Republic.